I'm like, she just like sculpted like a beautiful like biography out of like. Oh, when I was saying to her, I was like, I know what she's gonna be able to do with this. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, okay, I need to, I need to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of uh, the famous painters have always had like an interpreter. That was their yeah. friend, that was a poet yeah. or a writer. Yeah. Like Picasso had, I can't remember his name, but a poet friend of his in Paris. And Makes would sense, like right? represent his work and describe it. Yeah. It's easier because I don't know a lot of artists that like to talk about themselves. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> or like, I don't know, things like that. I know a couple. And they're not that much fun to be around. (laughs) (laughs) So there's an upside to it, right? (laughs) Yeah, there's an upside. Okay, so I've been recording for a moment, so I'll let you introduce yourself, Jillian. Um, My name's Jillian, and I'm an artist and a Pilates instructor. Um... Nice. And I live in Chicago. Cool. Yeah. How would you describe the work that you do? I know it's very colorful. Um, it's generally very colorful, um, although I hate, I really have a hard time working with color sometimes um, because I change my mind daily on, like, if I like the color scheme I've come up with or not. But describing my artwork... I would say I like to lean more into abstract or surrealism or lately I've been playing a lot with cubism and um, okay. and I like to practice or I've been building up on portraits a lot lately and spending a lot of time kind of fine-tuning the face or the features or the body, things like that. Yeah, it's the most difficult part for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. It just takes practice and a lot of patience. Yeah. Yeah. How long have you been working on? Do you do you think you have a complete style yet? I was going to ask how long you've been working on your style, but maybe just how long have you been painting? Um. Sometimes I I really have a hard time narrowing down my style because I'm all over the place. I like I just like to go different routes pretty consistently. Like one week I'll focus on one thing, another week I'll go into something else and it just changes based on how I'm feeling, I guess. But um I started painting in high school with a friend of mine in in 2006 and I mean, I always had a very creative family or people around me. My mom and dad were both photographers. My dad used to own um, a bunch of photo printing shops around Detroit. My sister's a musical artist, and we were always kind of... um, We were always... um, Our parents wanted us to, like go into music or art or they didn't really want us to but that was definitely like an influence Mm -hmm. and um I didn't really ever think that I would be painting in my future or later down the road but 
when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I just picked all the art classes. And then I ended up leaving with um, an associate degree in liberal arts. So I wouldn't really say that I'm, you know, that I've, I, I don't necessarily see myself as somebody who has a degree in art, but um, I'm, I also wouldn't say I'm 100% self-taught. Yeah. I'm a little bit of both. Um, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people saying they're, they feel so enclosed in a box from when you're majoring taught. in visual yeah. arts or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah, I feel like you learn too many rules and too many... You don't really see things organically from your perspective 100% if you're always, you know thinking about what you should do, shouldn't do, what works, what doesn't work, because it can always be different. And yeah. you can always like venture outside. But but on the flip side, it's really nice to know like what a difference it's gonna make if I push my brush down harder on the page or softer, how much water I'm using, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the technical things that are hard to figure out on your own necessarily. Yeah. Um so when I moved to Chicago, I was still painting. I just did it, this was in 2009. I was just doing that for myself, not for anybody else, or I never considered you know, becoming an artist. I just liked to paint as a hobby in my free time. Um, and then a couple years ago, I went through a divorce and Hmm. it was the first time I'd really been on my own truly living on my own supporting myself and I went through just so many different periods through the course of you know the past two years that I had so much time to kind of reflect back on myself and I started painting a lot more again and then getting into drawing and I just kept going with it and things started to ramp up for me all of a sudden I just had artwork like everywhere and I had a friend who said you know you could sell some of that or you could do something with that and I I just said that would totally ruin it for me if I sold art (laughs) I said I would I will not sell my art I'm not doing it for anybody else I won't enjoy it anymore Mm -hmm. and now (laughs) here I am (laughs) um Probably after my first commission piece, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And did that happen? It Sometimes it does happen. Um, mm-hmm. And then I have to kind of, you know, I learn from it. But um, what it did do was it made me it made me just sit down and do it more. And so now I am... I see things evolving and mm-hmm. my style developing and my technique, you know, changing and I'm doing things that I'd never done before. And I started working with ink in the past year, which helped me a lot um, with my acrylic painting because I got to a point with acrylic painting where I, I just wasn't liking my brush strokes. I wasn't liking, I didn't like how much my conscious mind was involved in the process because I felt like it just ruined everything. 
I would mm. I would analyze it too much and I couldn't go with the flow of what was kind of coming out of me. So I found inks and fluid art, and so that helped me go with the flow more. And then that, in turn, helped me go back to acrylic and kind of let my brain go a little bit. Nice. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I even, I, I had a friend early on, he's not an artist, but his sister's a pretty prolific artist. Mm -hmm. And he told me right off the bat, he's like, sell your work. <laughs> because <laughs> otherwise you'll wind up with a stockpile of paintings and you won't do anything. Yeah, you're like, what do I do with this now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a point this summer, I just finished my first gallery show yesterday. I just took oh, it nice. all down today. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, and before that show, I had so much art like stacked up in my apartment that I just kept thinking, like, what am I going to do with this? And then I, I had to keep remembering, like, if you're going to do a show, like, you have to have this ready. You know, I can't like decide I'm going to do a show and then all of a sudden I need 20 pieces or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was really great to have that much art and. I also um, have the studio that I work at that I teach at Pilates and um, in Wicker Park, and I'll hang up pieces there. Mm -hmm. So that is that gets it out of my place, and people see it, and it gives me a little more exposure. Yeah, it's yeah. always good. Yeah, for sure. What was the first step you took in selling your artwork? Did anybody just... Uh, um, see it in your studio and say I want that or was it a process of looking for a gallery I had um, well I had a friend of mine commission a piece of art from me and so that kind of because I, I would show my art like on social media or things like that so I, people knew what I was doing um, mm -hmm. and then they would start to reach out like is this available or can you do this and that so that kind of, that was kind of a catalyst of like throwing me into the world of selling all my art. But I also, in February, I had, I had put up a piece of art at the studio I work at and about a week or so later I got a call from somebody with um, an organization called Twist Out Cancer and they put on a show or a gala every year called um, Brushes for Cancer. So what they do is they match up individuals who have been touched by cancer or have cancer with an artist, and you get to know each other over the course of six months or so. And um, somebody had a client who went to the studio that I'd never met or even seen send me a message, and she um she saw she said she'd seen my artwork and um she told me about the twist out cancer brushes for cancer and she's like you need to be an artist like this is going to be an amazing um an amazing experience for both you and the person you meet um et cetera, et cetera. so i met her got to know her a little bit and um i I did um, sign up with the program, and um, hmm. and I met. Um, they call it your inspiration. The person who I um, who has been touched by cancer has cancer, um, 
I met her in May, and then we got to know each other and spent time together the past four months or so. And then at the end of November, or the beginning of November, there's a big gala where they have an auction and um, food, drinks, like a big party kind of thing. Not like a big party, but um, charity event. Charity event. Yeah. So that, that happened, great. and I was like, I just couldn't believe that like she had reached out to me for such a you know such a cool program that was going on in Chicago, which is you know. Mm-hmm. one of the big cities, you know, I couldn't believe that somebody had reached out to me to do that. So that was a push towards the right direction. And then um, some friends of mine own um, a small event space in Wicker Park called The Red Room. And then they reached out to me in the summer and asked if I wanted to do, do a gallery, which is the one I just wrapped up. Okay. So it was like as soon as I decided... I'm going to start painting and got into it. It just kind of rolled into place. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's about best case scenario. Yeah. It's pretty, I mean, looking back on it, it's pretty amazing how everything kind of fell together. Yeah. Yeah. How was the gallery experience? It was, it was really great. I mean, they aren't a really a gallery necessarily um okay they usually hold like small live shows um music um Mm -hmm. more towards like acoustic sets or smaller um smaller bands and um i had gone i had been going to the red room the past two years because i live right next to the space that they do this in so i became friends with them just Honestly, at night when I was painting, I would take a break and I'd just walk over there <laughs> and it would like get me out of my apartment for a few hours. I'd listen to music and then I'd come back and I'd feel fresh again and I would paint or go to bed or, mm-hmm. you know. That's pretty nice. Yeah, so it was kind of <laughs> cool to have them be my first gallery. Um, mm-hmm. But we had um, an opening, which was really successful. Um, I sold seven pieces I think that night and then we had it up throughout the month and um, I sold a few more as while they were hanging and I really had a great experience I don't know what it would be like in a typical gallery though somebody who's like open you know as a main thing gallery like you know on Milwaukee or something like that yeah and I don't know I mean now that I've done this gallery with friends in a smaller smaller space and I think about like what a uh, your typical gallery is going to pull from the artist which is more mm-hmm. you know it's like it's a high number really 50% is what typical gallery takes and I just feel like I don't feel like that's fair to the artist because the artist puts so much into their work. And I know that a gallery puts a lot into theirs too. But I feel like the person who created this thing should get more than half. Yeah, it's really difficult. The whole hierarchy of the art industry is... uh, Some people say it's... um, 
like has a lot of crooks in it and it's yeah. very uh, I can't remember the particular yeah. word but kind of like a swindling sort of game yeah it's um I haven't gotten that deeply involved with it mm-hmm. but I have definitely heard of some galleries charging like 60% for that yeah and that's a whole yeah 60% I I don't I wouldn't even agree to that I don't think <laughs> unless it's like or I'd at least have to up the price of my my artwork yeah you know quite a bit for that but I mean I guess a lot of galleries do help with that you know yeah some some galleries and curators like have celebrity status almost yeah in the tiny world of art and yeah. they can make stuff expensive yeah <laughs> and it's like they're attached to it right oh yeah it's so true and I mean it's kind of I mean you can put all your artwork we talked about this earlier but you could put all your artwork up online but it's not even close to seeing it in person I feel like mm-hmm. you're way more likely somebody's way more likely to purchase art that's in front of them than on a screen or on their computer because it's not going to affect them the same way, you know? I mean, I feel like the reason I buy a piece of art is because I look at it and I just, I need that piece of art, you know? Because it's just, you just have that feeling. But if you see it on a screen, you might not feel that strongly about it or you might not even feel the same way at all as you would seeing in person, especially if it's a big piece of art, you know? Yeah. You totally, you don't get any of the texture. You just Mm -hmm. get the pure colors and Mm -hmm. balance of it. Yeah. Which you can get a lot from the texture. Like, you can really tell if someone worked on it in very, like, emotional manners. And it adds that extra layer, in my opinion. Yeah. Of, like, feeling with it. I can't remember who said this. I wish I could since we're since you're recording this, but (laughs) it happens. (laughs) It was an artist who said something like the, the imperfections or the brush strokes or things like that in the piece are what makes it unique. What makes it unique to the artist, you know, Mm -hmm. because nobody's going to do that the same way as another person you know so yeah absolutely like having a perfect piece of artwork or things like that it's not as unique or interesting as seeing you know the imperfections and the the artwork you know and you're not going to get that effect on a screen Mm -hmm. I mean I I wonder if there's studies on that on how if you look at you know a piece of artwork on a screen compared to in person, how the brain registers it differently? I don't know. That would be a cool study. I wonder Hang if there's already one on that. In the, yeah. The top of an fMRI machine. Yeah, maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll do a study. <laughs> you should. That'd be cool. Yeah. It. Uh, yeah, and what comes to mind is I saw these few pieces by this guy that I think he's what I heard from the gallery owner was he spent about like 10 years on them just layer after layer and was sanding down layers and I bet the paint coming off of it was like 
a quarter inch to a half an inch of texture wow. piled on top of each other. Wow. And eventually it came to like an image of some trees or something along those <laughs> lines. Um, it was an abstract piece, so it might just be my own interpretation. Sounds like that, it's like a sculpture at that point. Yeah, and you would totally miss that on a screen. Right. You wouldn't be able to see any of it. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, I feel like the emotional feelings that you get, it's just not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. We just got to convince you know. the whole younger generations. <laughs> um, I mean, that's even harder. I mean, because I know that people don't collect art the way that they used to, and they're not willing. I have a friend of mine who, I guess this actually helped me start to sell my art as well. She's an art appraiser in Chicago, and she's really well-known. And um, she was actually my Pilates client. That's how we met. And um, we, you know, one way or another ended up talking about art. And um, she would help me with, like, pricing and things like that and mm-hmm. and I think when she kind of said like this stuff is good like you should sell this then I was like okay yeah like I'm in like <laughs> if an art appraiser is telling me to sell my art I'm selling my art right yeah makes and sense. she um she had told me about how now you know the younger generations they don't collect art the way that older generations do or yeah. they're not willing to spend the money on it that mm-hmm. older generations would or still do. Yeah, and we're also suffering from a crisis of lack of meaning, I think. It's got to be the screens, right? So dominant. Yeah, I think right? there's got to be lots the screens. Of studies that I've heard about. I haven't read them personally, but about. Yeah. Um, like the spike in mental illness and depression, depression and loneliness, anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it coincides ex- directly with like the iPhone coming out. Surely, <laughs> surely, but it's also ironic that there's a. I guess it. Uh, I guess it might not be ironic, but the the uh, the younger generations destigmatizing um, therapy or self-help and things like that. Mm-hmm. But we're also like the most depressed. So <laughs> I guess we had no choice. <laughs> I guess so. That's it's such a t- complicated topic. Yeah. I'm uh, totally not qualified to talk about it, but I think art can help with meaning. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. That's kind of one of my personal missions which is one reason why I would even consider about going into like the art industry and owning a gallery or curating stuff is that I really want people to know like how important mm-hmm. it is to have like those little ties to the rest of the right. world. Right. And that it's like it is but it isn't at the same time like this bourgeoisie sort of status yeah. symbol of yeah. when someone comes over to your house you can say oh this is from uh this is a picasso or right this is a pollock and right i had so a, intelligent 
<laughs> right. <laughs> but there's like yeah. optimally, you'd be buying the work from artists that you know, right. or really admire, right. and you can have that connection and like be able to talk about how it, like, called out to you in the first right. place, right? Or why you have it. That kind of rem- that whole like. I mean, the hierarchy in the art world and the, it's, it's something I've been thinking about lately and like with the differences between the self-taught artist world and then the masters in fine arts or things like that, mm-hmm. those people, and then the kind of like, I feel like there's like a college museum scene and then there's... On the other scene, which is more self-taught. Yeah. In my opinion, laid back. I mean, I go into like if I sometimes if I go into like the Museum of Contemporary Art or things like that, I just you I just feel it in the air, like this kind of stuck-up like attitude, mm. you know, walking around and. And it's weird to me because I feel like it's it's not a I feel like it's not real and b I feel like it it's it's the opposite of art, you know what I mean to have that attitude or yeah this way of being of like oh, I'm an artist, you know, it's like, okay, (laughs) chill out. Like, yeah, I think you're right. I've noticed the same exact thing from time to time. Yeah. And I know that there's, there's people who won't even, there's collectors out there who won't, who won't even collect self-taught artists. Mm hmm. And they'll only collect from people who have gotten, you know, their MFA or things like that. And um, I feel like it misses the point of art if you've got that blinder put up or that, you know, that wall, you know, because you miss a lot. I mean, how many of the, like, great artists from the past were necessarily, you know... that educated on what they were going to do or what they were doing a lot (laughs) (laughs) especially I mean I'm so terrible with names and this is embarrassing not Picasso Van Gogh he never sold a painting he sold one painting to like his brother-in-law right and now he's now like he Impressionism and pointillism, like, all came from him, and those are like huge. Right, right. And he's probably one of, I mean, he's obviously one of the greats. Right. Make movies about him and all of that. Right. But um, definitely ahead of his time. Yeah. And not like playing by the rules. Yeah, yeah. At all. I wonder if you're another study, we should write down these studies, if you're more <laughs> likely to come up with something original, new, you know, organic, if you are, you know, if you have the education or if you don't, you know? Mm-hmm. I would say probably. You know, um, you know. I'm not an educated artist, so there might be a little personal 
bias in there, but some people break the mold for sure. Yeah. Like Picasso really, like he didn't, I don't think he went to school, but his dad was like a professional teacher or something Mm -hmm. like that. So when he was like 12, he was painting completely realistic paintings. Oh, right. (laughs) Right. And then uh, went through his blue period, which was like in between Mm -hmm. cubism and the realistic stuff. Yeah. And then that's when he started carrying pistols around and (laughs) doing really wacky Wacky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he made a parade with, um, I think, Eric Satie, the composer, and this one other guy. Did he? Did I, I say parade? I... Yeah. He made it. He made a play called Parade. Oh, okay. I'm like, what and, does this uh, mean, a parade? <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, pretty avant-garde. Everyone hated it. They for the. Uh, comp the music like they used typewriters and whips for some of the instruments. I'm not surprised. Just <laughs> really getting experimental. And, I think he uh, maybe he should have just stuck with you know the the artwork. Yeah, well that's that's basically what he did. He like made yeah. paintings and just yeah. attached them to people, and they were they were cubist people. I did not much. know that. But that's I mean. That's a good example of people being taught and then kind yeah. of getting rebellious with it. Yeah. And I know I have a friend that was uh, talking about how she can't wait to graduate so she can just break the rules, basically, and quit painting, like... What they're telling her to paint. Like the masters, basically. Oh, yeah. Having everything be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see how that's frustrating. I mean, I have friends who come from both sides of the spectrum and you know, they all produce amazing stuff regardless of, you know, what end they come from and I I wouldn't say it's good or bad to be either one, you know. I feel like either mm-hmm. each has its its upsides and downsides, you know, like everything else. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But I do feel like the communities in Chicago could be a little more intertwined, for sure. I mean, I feel like the art community in Chicago in general could be... It could use some work, for sure. I mean, I feel like there's not a lot of... I feel like the community's not as strong as it could be, you know? I've heard a little bit of that. What, uh, do you have any specific, like, things that you noticed that aren't, like, uh... I feel like there could be more either community or social, you know, kind of, I guess, groups in some sort or, like, a space Mm -hmm. or... I'm not really sure what I would have in mind, but more um, collaboration um, or kind of ways for artists to get together. And um, even if it's just, you know, working 
I think it'd be really cool if you could have like a warehouse where that's like a community open space and if you wanted to go and paint that day you could you know mm-hmm. bring your stuff um pay like a small fee for the day like people do that work at home on their computer and they want to go to like a shared workspace like yeah. I, I feel like something like that for artists would be awesome because i mean you sit you sit at home or in your studio alone probably all day and you're painting you're working on something and for me personally not having other people around it starts to get to me you know I get too much in my head um and then as soon as I'm around somebody it's like oh wait there's this other part of me that's like been like Mm -hmm. dormant well people are inspiring yeah yeah they (laughs) are to say the least right and yeah I think that's really important yeah and you're actually the last guy I had on here uh I don't know if you've heard of him his name's Muhammad Naki yeah, I heard. I listened to some of that podcast. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. He was saying about exactly the same thing. If there's not much collaboration, yeah. Even though the scene here, in his words, is underrated. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's um, not like L.A. or New York. You know, it's a lot. They have much stronger, you know, art communities. Yeah. For like the artist and for people that buy art. Yeah, probably. Um, but, but I don't see why Chicago couldn't be that. Like, I feel like there's, I agree. Um, there's I agree. a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And some of the galleries are, like, really top-notch, yeah. big-name people going have their work up in there right. and are coming through. Yeah, there's a lot of really great artists that have come out of Chicago. And I, I... I feel like it might be tied in a way with Chicago's a little more conservative than other cities, Hmm. than New York or L.A. Um, So I wonder if that has anything, any ties to it, the art scene. But I know that as an artist, even, you know, even just selling your art, it's going to be easier in New York or L.A., then it will be in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely, I could see that. Yeah. I don't have much experience other than visiting. I've had people that have that I've known that moved from LA. But from LA to to Oregon, okay. where I'm from. Right. Um, that's a big migratory path for Californians is Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I think, I don't know if they get sick of the art scene there or what. I think they just want something more low-key. Yeah. From that. Yeah, I could see that. I mean. Yeah, but there's a lot going on, to say the least, down there. Yeah. And what really helps them is, like, the creative income mm-hmm. from movies and all of that other... Right. Um, everything that they do down there, they're obviously known for Hollywood, and that's right. uber creative. So you yeah. get creative people with money, and they're usually mm-hmm. 
buying artwork, the buying, mingling with other creative mm-hmm. people. Yeah, a hundred percent. Definitely creates a pretty diverse. Uh, I think scene. Miami. I'd say Miami is a pretty good art scene too. Okay. Do you know people from Miami? Have you visited? Um, I've been to Miami a few times. I love Miami. Um, it's a little too hot for me in the summer, but yeah. Otherwise, I really love Miami. <laughs> but um, might be underwater in twenty years. I know, right? <laughs> Let's hope not. But pay for good insurance. It, the people that live there are, you know they're going to buy art, you know, they are all over color and, um, I feel like they are into that creative, you know, that creative world. And then there's a lot of people with money too. So Mm -hmm. put those two together and it's like, art's going to do well, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When it comes down to it, it is most of the time a luxury item yeah it is so uh it is i i read somewhere within the past year that buying a piece of art for your wall is going to provide you or give you more um happiness than other material items like clothes or mm. things like that consistently you know what I mean yeah and I thought that was a really interesting thing to read you know because I you know maybe people are becoming more materialistic in their possessions these days but I wouldn't be surprised to hear that you know a lot of people would buy something other than art, you know, like clothes or things like that. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, eventually the clothes are going to not fit great or fall apart or, you know, whatever. You'll have the piece of art forever. Yeah. Well, I think that that circles back around to the whole meaning aspect. Yeah. Because a piece of artwork is going to give you much more mm-hmm. meaning as long as you don't buy it from Walmart or... uh <laughs> a box store. I know, right. <laughs> if it's from right. a real person, it's going right. to give you a lot more meaning than clothes. Agreed. Most of the time. Agreed. Unless you're buying clothes from an artist, which there's plenty of that. Right. That's another thing. Right. Got to right. study it. <laughs> That's true. There's so many different branches to this, right? Mm-hmm. But... How about, are there any uh, shows you've been to? Any artists you're fans of or designers or anything like that? I have been spending a lot of my time um, looking at murals lately. Um, Just around the city. Um, There's so many great mural artists around, especially in Chicago. Um, and you have, you have Brantley, you have, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on names now. I don't know. I keep seeing home slides. It's a handful. Um, 
there's there's one I have in mind particularly and I think I live next to this person's dad because (laughs) there's a house (laughs) next to me that has this artwork that's like huge you know what I mean pieces he does like the 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 bears on the buildings they're like stuffed animal bears this is embarrassing that I can't even think of this right now um I've been wanting to get in the mural, uh, creating murals myself. Um, and I recently went to the MCA and saw a few, um, a few different shows that they had set up there. Um, that were really amazing. The Virgil Abloh show? Yeah, that was actually what I had originally gone for. That was really good. Mm -hmm. Um, have I seen I feel like I went to so many this past summer (laughs) a lot of times I just you know I I do a lot of walking in Wicker Park and there's a lot of galleries around that area so Mm -hmm. I'll just pop in to them as I'm walking around Um, it's probably probably my favorite area in the city for the galleries um, and then I've spent, over the past week, I've spent some time at the Bridgeport Art Center, which is in Bridgeport. Have you, I don't know if you've heard of that or I've not. heard of it. I haven't been there yet. Definitely stop by that building. They have, it's this giant warehouse, and um, there's tons of different artists with their work just going all up and down the, the different levels of this warehouse and then there's like different companies inside there's one company called green star movement which is a nonprofit that um designs and puts up um uh, bricolage mosaic murals and um schools around the city um and i've been i started interning with them a couple weeks ago nice yeah so um i'm working on two different schools in the city right now two different murals that we're putting up inside. Are they um, like installing tiles or painting the brick or? So what we do is we essentially install the tiles on the um, on the brick that's already there. Okay. Yeah. That's so cool. they come. They they design. Um, you know the image or whatever they've decided to put up on the wall. Um, and then they will kind of project it and then draw the outlines on the brick. Mm-hmm. And then you take tile, mirror, and break it up, cut it, and you then, you know, put it up like a mosaic. Um, they do indoor and outdoor. They've done uh, between like 130, 140 in the city oh, so nice. far, yeah. It's a pretty impressive number. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's a lot because it's probably pretty labor intensive too to put up a bunch of little pieces. It's it's probably one of the most therapeutic things I've ever done in my life. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, we also we don't just do it by ourselves. We we teach the kids how to do it, and then they do huh. it with us. Yeah. That's cool. Is it therapeutic because you're 
working with kids or is it kind of like a meditative sort of if I'm doing it by like myself and the kids aren't with me and I'm just kind of setting up like we'll set up like the outline and then the kids can come in and fill in you know the spaces that we've outlined just so that we can kind of keep it because we want them to have fun we're not like this has got to be perfect although with bricolage murals mosaic murals you um it doesn't really have to be perfect there's certain parts if you do an outline you want a straight edge but um we'll teach them and you know we'll have some time while they're doing it but then when we're when I'm on my own I uh, an hour or two will go by and I had no concept of that time at all you know what I mean because <laughs> um, I'm just you know in my zone like breaking or cutting the tile and then putting it into this shape mm-hmm. and you know use grout to put it up and but then when I'm working with the kids it's it's just a good time hanging out with kids can be 10 times more enjoyable than hanging out with adults and the kids that I'm working with now are in seventh and eighth grade so it's interesting (laughs) you know um yeah that was a tough time for me oh my god that was the probably the worst time of my life was seventh and eighth grade yeah I like before that was you know great after that great but like those were the grades that I was like it was the worst you know those kids need help yeah and middle schoolers (laughs) are mean they're mean to each other you know what I mean oh yeah yeah they uh, they don't care Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um working with them has been has been a lot of fun yeah yeah and they like they like putting it up you know and they're proud of it and when they see us like starting the mural and they're walking by between classes and they know that they're going to be working on it like they stop and they talk to us about it and they get they're really excited to do it and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how much art is really in their you know in their lives I don't really know at this point in schools especially you know public schools what is available to them you know yeah, I think unfortunately for a lot of people, it's not not much. It's kind of what I guessed. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean it's it's important even if they're not mm-hmm. good at it to try it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most people aren't good at it, you know. But being good at art is that's. Mm-hmm. that's a whole nother subject, you know? Like, what does it mean to be even good at art, you know? Like, yeah. you s- some people, like, an abstract piece of work can just look like somebody just, you know, threw a bunch of paint on a mm-hmm. on a canvas, and that's what some people just literally do, and then they sell it, and, you know, so it's like, what is it? what does it even mean to be good, you know? So if they don't just do it, or if they don't have it available, they might not ever you know yeah well it's uh good art is definitely a definition that changes from person to person yeah but uh i mean the technical terms you could use it is uh like i'm pretty convinced that not everyone's good at art it's weird how people like look at boss and be like oh my 
three-year-old can do that and that sort of stuff. But then also, yeah. like, even when I first saw Basquiat, I was like, what is this? Yeah. Like, crown yeah. stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's and so then, many times <laughs> that I look in, like, a, a museum and, or things um, like that, and it's like, what is this? Okay, you know, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, it was definitely, it was cool, because I had a friend, uh, he's a really experienced artist that, like, uh, loaned me the book that was a Basquiat book mm-hmm. I'm looking at it I'm like it's so simple right and the first thing he said was you can't do it <laughs> I'm like really he's like yeah I've tried and you can't do it and uh yeah. it's true yeah yeah <laughs> he had some sort of feeling well obviously like a Basquiat feels like a Basquiat right and he right. had that thing in his head that he was trying yeah. to convey and yeah definitely did it and I think uh I don't think he's easy to imitate yeah and it's something I don't about think so it. either yeah I can't I wouldn't be able to say that oh it's the balance between the figures and the writing and all of that how it works with each other that's what makes it good artwork but yeah I feel like what probably made him a good artist is that he actually he had that vision and was able to like visualize it right because a lot of people I think set out to like go for a realistic sort of thing mm-hmm. and that's insanely mm-hmm. difficult I can't do any sort of photorealism so when someone's yeah. perception of art is like oh you just paint images it's a weird subject right to to take apart because I mean I'll have pieces that I I finish them and I'm like oh god like that is terrible right (laughs) and then somebody will see it and they'll the they love it and I'm like really (laughs) you want all right that wasn't one you know but then I'll have a piece that I love and I'll expect it to go quick, and it doesn't, it doesn't, you know? Yeah. I pro- I still have, you know, have pieces like that, and... Oh, I've been there. It's hard to say. I even had know? this one piece that um, a friend of mine recommended to, like, take it to the backyard and hose it down until the paint comes off the canvas <laughs> so I can reuse the canvas. and I wasn't really in love with it it was kind of like an angry piece that's hilarious (laughs) maybe if you just hose it uh, off I had a friend that just fell in love with it (laughs) he's a really good friend of mine so I'm like you can have it that's so funny (laughs) but still to this day he's like that's my favorite piece that you've ever made like really Really? cool (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to say, you know. Taste is subjective. E, 100%. 100%. And and most people just don't have the drive to make art. Which is interesting that I was even... One of this gallery that I wound up in today, I can't even remember the name of it, Mm -hmm. but uh, the one I was talking to the woman who, like, runs the sales. Yeah. And for, like, an hour... And that's what she said. She's like, I've never had a desire to pick up a paintbrush. 
I didn't even really like know what I was getting into when I started working here, but the guy who owns the gallery was one of her best friends or something like that. Okay. And then, so 30 years later, she's still working there. Oh, wow. But, um, yeah, just, uh, I forgot exactly what I was going to with that. Um, I guess people, people doing like creating art. art um, yeah, that don't yeah. exactly do it. I'll have friends who, you know, when they see what I'm doing or all the time say that I am inspiring them to paint. Like people who, either from people who are creative and used to and to people who are not, you know, mm-hmm. are not necessarily creative. Or I feel like everybody's creative in a sense, but, you know, they're not creating art or they've never created art but um visually yeah and that is uh, that's probably one of my favorite things to hear because I think (laughs) if anything it's therapeutic you know and I don't I think a lot of I think we process whatever might be going on in our subconscious differently when we are creating art I feel like it can put can I feel like it's a state of meditation that allows you to kind of process things behind the scenes when you're not using your brain to like do other things in your life you know what I mean Oh, yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah. That's one thing that I actually studied a lot when I was working with, or when I do work with ink, um, because, you know, I mix the ink with different chemicals on um, Yupo paper, and I will kind of, you know, move these colors and the ink around the paper, and when I'm using the ink or when I'm going, you know, in this kind of process, I not, I'm, I don't have to really consciously make decisions. You know, I just kind Mm -hmm. of, one thing comes to my mind and I do it. I don't think about what I, you know, if I should use this or that, or if I should move it with, you know, you can use a heat gun, you can use, you can yeah. move the paper, you can use a brush, you can move it in any way you want. And I kind of go with the first decision. And then when I'm done with the piece, I step back and I'm like, and I see what it is. Um, the first time I kind of practiced this and I started really diving into um, a, uh, one of... Carl Jung's books. Mm, yeah. Um, Do you remember which one? Collective Unconscious. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm a huge is that what it's called? Fan. Um, I, so. I That book ended up in my life for some reason, and I read it, and I'm reading it again now because um, it's a lot to take in. Reading that yeah. book, like, changed everything <laughs> for me, really, especially with art. And I was reading it while I um, was working, started working with ink. And I started reading on um, 
the trickster and the the architects the archetypes of the collective unconscious and yeah i um that was the that's the name of the book right i think so yeah the archetypes um so i did one of these ink one of my first big ink paintings and the trickster is um is tied to the coyote. Um, yeah, that's right. And I looked at my first ink when I was done at it, done with it, and it, there was a coyote like looking me right in the <laughs> eye, and I was like, "This is wild right now." You know what I mean? Huh. Um, because I didn't. I still have it. I don't think I'll ever get rid of that piece. Like I won't give it to anybody um, because it's just a reminder of. of that that period of time in my life last winter where I really did a lot of studying and you can go down a rabbit hole with those oh yeah those it's books philosophy and to read Jung yeah yeah and start talking about the collective yeah. subconscious it'll like change mm-hmm. your entire world view oh it changes everything and then I so. um and then I'd go to work and I teach a lot of one-on-one sessions and so I'm working with all these different people and and different bodies, and I'm it's helping me to kind of learn what I've read and just observe so many different people in my life, and then kind of go back to my house and sit with it with the art. You know, it's just been like eye opening, really. Kind of, I guess that's kind of a big role that Pilates has played in my creativity is I go to work and I get out of my head but I'm also because I have to be on like teaching and watching Mm -hmm. what's in front of me but I'm also observing people and just how they are in life you know and how that affects their body and how I work with all these different people who have different kinds of traumas or pain or these different lifestyles and you see how that affects how that affects them in all these different ways and how their their the pain in their body or their limitations is directly linked to what's going on in their life what has gone on in their life and then that mm. kind of played into what I'm studying with the conscious or unconscious and conscious and yeah and then art you know just kind of bursting at the seams with all this information you know and things to Mm -hmm. think about and then I would just you know sit and listen to like Alan Watts all day you know what I mean and you're just (laughs) it's like candles on the cake right oh yeah yeah that's super interesting I was wanting to ask you how Pilates affects your creativity. It sounds like maybe even more from teaching it and being in that role with a class would be yeah. more the, of the would be the more inspiring aspect of it. Teaching um, teaching one on one is is. Um, is where I feel like I pull and learn the most. But teach and teaching a class is just 
it's just fun for me. Um, I I just get to, I mean, the people that I teach at the studio, when the people that go to the studio are all, a lot of them are regulars, so you get to know them. The classes aren't huge. It's like anywhere from, you know, four to eight people. And okay. and I, I know them all to an extent. Um, so when I am teaching, I'm really relaxed, and I'm not like... I'm not like a boot camp kind of instructor or I'm not, um, it's not like aerobics. It's, but I, you know, I have music on, but it's also very, um, like a genuine kind of personal feel, you know what I mean? And, and uh, yeah, and it's just fun to just be in that moment with them. But, um, so the class is kind of a, just, I get to let go a bit. Does um, exercise in general help you get into, like, any sort of creative flow or anything like that? So the funny thing about exercise for me now is that I, I, ha- I get a lot of exercise in my life regularly. Um, when I'm in the studio, I end up doing Pilates one way or another it's you know throughout the the hours that I spend there um and then outside of that I walk a lot and I'm I walk I have my dog that I walk four four times a day and then I just (laughs) you know and I walk I walk to the studio it's not that far from my house so I don't actually set apart a lot of time to just exercise um, and I think that's because I am in the studio, the amount that, of time that I am, yeah. because I don't want, I don't like, I don't want to go to the studio to spend time there necessarily if I'm not already there working, you know, I want to leave, I want to go home. Um, I will like between clients, if I have time, you know, then I'll, you know, I'll exercise. Um, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of mold like molded into my everyday a little bit here a little bit there you know what I mean and I think that it has it's just kind of put me in a position where I always have some exercise in my life you know and it's not a chore it's not um it's not a well I guess for a lot of people it's not necessarily a chore like it's an hour to get out of your head and do what you want you know what I mean or yeah absolutely but I don't think exercise is that for me anymore. You know, it's, it's different in my life because of, because I teach. Yeah. And I don't like exercising by myself. That is actually mm. how I got into Pilates <laughs> because I would take classes because if, if I didn't have somebody telling me what to do, then I'm not doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'd go yeah, to the gym and I'd be like, so. I don't even know what to do right now. Like, I'd have no direction. So that's why I take Pilates classes. And then I eventually, you know, loved Pilates. And I I would tell people all the time, like, you should do Pilates for this and that. And I wasn't even teaching, and I just loved it that much. And then I, one day I was like, I should maybe I should, like, teach Pilates. 
So I did a small certification to make sure because getting a Pilates certification is not a small thing. It's if you want to do like if you want to become certified in yoga or a personal trainer, you can do that in a smaller amount of time typically than Pilates. Um, Is Pilates dangerous (laughs) or is it just complicated? There's a lot to it. It's because a lot of people go to Pilates for physical therapy reasons, and um, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you really, you really need to know a lot. Um, at least the training I've done, there's a lot of emphasis on anatomy and uh, physiology and um, kinesiology, um, <laughs> which is you know, yeah, no idea what that movement. Is. Um, so um, you really learn a lot. It took me, when I did my second certification, which was the comprehensive, it took me about a year and a half. And it's um, a 600-hour program, and mm. you, you're just, like, really diving into this. And then there's all the equipment that you learn. I mean, you, you're not going to go into a studio where you can just hop on a reformer the way that you can, like, the treadmill. Like, you, you typically need somebody to teach you. So yeah. it's a bigger... Um, it's a bigger commitment to become certified in all the... You know, the whole repertoire of Pilates. Um, hmm. So I did a smaller course, and then I did the comprehensive, and... Um, And then I, you know, over, after I finished my course, or the certifications, then I've been, I started teaching, and, where am I going with this? So, yeah, I I work out, (laughs) but I don't, it's like, I work out, but I don't work out. You know what I mean? Like, I get exercise in my day, you know, every day, pretty much. But it's not really planned. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like people, like as a Pilates instructor, people look at you like you're this like health nut. That's like you know, <laughs> I run three miles or I run for three hours and then I go do you know? <laughs> I hate running. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm not really a health nut. I just, I do what I can and I. And I like teaching Pilates, and I and I str- I really believe in the program or the exercise and the what it what it teaches people, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I didn't even know that there was a whole entire oh yeah like uh, therapeutic side of it any more therapeutic than like yoga. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say it's any. I wouldn't say more or less with yoga. There's a lot of, like, Pilates versus yoga or this and that. Um, mm-hmm. And I just see them as different, two totally different things. Um, yoga has definitely a, more of the uh, spiritual aspect to it. And mm-hmm. where Pilates is more... Pilates is more about movement, where yoga 
can be based around held poses. Um, oh, okay. Mm-hmm, and where Pilates is more like, like if when I'm with a client, I'm looking at how their body's moving and um, like a physical therapist would and how, where their strengths and weaknesses um, could use more balance and um, you know like if somebody somebody will come in with back pain and um, and you start to kind of um, investigate that with them I, I'm not a, a doctor and I'll tell my client that mm-hmm. so the the best way I like to tell them is like I'm going to help play detective with you you know what I mean and and I've seen so many, like, so many changes with my clients and from doing Pilates with whatever it may be, if it's they want to be stronger in the sense or they want to deal with back pain, this and that, you know. It's all the same. You're really kind of, you're using this strength training um, exercise method that also helps you, you know, to lengthen and find the imbalances and things like that. And Mm -hmm. it helps them to figure out, you know, or to get through these pains that they have, you know, because you go to the doctor and the doctor, you know, will do an x-ray or they'll do, you know, their test or whatever. And a lot of times they come out and they don't know what, they don't know why you're in pain, you know? And then just uh, hand out some pharmaceuticals. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) See you in a month. Yeah. people have surgery or all sorts of things and a lot of times it's not necessary yeah I mean I think so I've had a client who came to me in the beginning of the year and he said he had low back pain and he'd been to the doctor he'd been to physical therapist he'd been to all these different people and nobody could tell him why or you know what was going on and I, um, I still see this client, and he doesn't have back pain anymore. I said, hmm. see me three times a week, two or three times a week. Give me a year. We actually, he's, he, was back, he was free of back pain within six months. But by just kind of seeing how he moved and really looking at, like, what he's doing every single day in these positions or in the way he's holding his body or moving his body, you start to see why he's in pain. You know what I mean? And you get to know them and their personality plays a big part in why they feel pain as well because that's you'll hold trauma or things you've gone through in your life or the way you kind of process things, your body will hold that. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So it's a whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, I totally was not expecting that, yeah. that much to come out of Pilates. Honestly, and judge me if you want, all I thought about Pilates was, from what I've heard from someone, they said yoga with weights. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised at all. At all. I mean, a a lot of people don't know a lot about Pilates. Mm -hmm. And then 
nobody can there is this whole legal situation that happened a while back so nobody can trademark the name Pilates so there's people who have these programs or have you know there's the mega reformer or things like that and they call it Pilates and the workout is fine you know do what you want to do but it's not really it's not really Pilates and there's so and I don't mean that in the way of being like snooty about it like oh that's not real Pilates there's so many different ways that you can teach Pilates it can be Pilates but there's also a whole nother realm of like people saying or somebody saying this is Pilates and it's not really even close to being Pilates you know it's not just like somebody's it's not uh there's more contemporary styles to Pilates now but than like the classical method that was developed by Joseph Pilates but then there's also like okay that's just something else you know what I mean and I'm not hating on any other workout or saying this is better than that I'm just saying let's be real here you know what I mean (laughs) that's you know um so a lot of people don't really don't know much about Pilates or they have a weird version of what they think it is but it's definitely not a well it's not it's not that well known it's getting more popular over the past few years but nine or it's not unusual for me to be around people who are like okay so what is Pilates or they have this idea of what it is and you're just like ah yeah. Not really. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not quite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I look so forward to it becoming a little more, a little more widespread or well-known. Yeah. Yeah, I never would have guessed the link that you made between, like, subconscious archetypes and meeting people through Pilates and seeing yeah. how their body moves and all that. Yeah, yeah, you kind of see now how this is all, like, a wealth of information to yeah. work with. And that it's, like, I hate to say it, all connected. Yeah, yeah. I know, right? Is, but <laughs> It's true. It's, it's true so true. And, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Jung. Uh, like that's his theories on mandalas and ideas behind that is kind of what got me into visual arts because I started drawing mandalas oh, okay. a few years ago and before that I was just a uh, musician mainly mm-hmm. and then um, eventually after a few months of like getting to a point of really being frustrated because <laughs> I'm also very much a perfectionist especially with mandalas so Mm -hmm. I'm like doing them all very small and every line's got to be perfect and it's perfectly gridded out yeah and I was just like got this feeling of like I need to need to break something (laughs) yes so I just like got a bunch of spray paint and paint and canvas and uh, yeah did break some canvases (laughs) did you yeah, because I was I would just buy the cheap ones for a while and yeah, uh, 
At one point, I threw one like a frisbee. <laughs> you took it out on a canvas. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And uh, yeah, eventually stumbled upon something that's now more or less my style oh really all of that yeah because i had um a friend that's been pretty successful throughout his life he's like middle-aged now Mm -hmm. and um like i just wound up talking to him at one point in time when i was first meeting him i was like yeah i'm kind of like an artist and uh showed him some of my work and he like pointed out one in particular with this like pointillist sort of drip not splatter style and he's like i like that he's like dude try to do more of that oh yeah cool that's really funny that that's how you kind of got into that yeah how you jumped over to that i was um the only time I've really, I was never really drawn to draw, you know, mandalas. But over the past summer, I would, t- on, when I would take my dog out around lunchtime, I'd just take chalk with me. And then I'd go <laughs> to like a big sidewalk area next to, you know, a park or by the 606 in Wicker Park. And I would draw i just draw them on the sidewalk while she was, you know, laying in the grass. Mm-hmm. And then when I was finished, I'd, well, I'd leave. And that was it. And they'd stay for a little while. And that's the, that's the only time I... And I think it was because I was reading, you know, yeah, reading archetypes, you know, and looking at... He, he's got a few in the, inside the book, a few in the middle where there's, you know some photos scattered but yeah some of his got really cool I've seen pictures of both when he first started doing them mm-hmm. it was like during World War One. he was uh, in a medical unit or something like that so he started drawing one every day and they're just kind of on a notepad you can put in your pocket and kind yeah. of scrawled out Yeah. and then he gets to some of them in like his red book illustrations that are I like just as got big that. As this table I have that book. And really intricate. I've did I see those? I haven't. I started reading that book. I just have the reader's edition. It's but the I most common in. one. I don't think it has any pictures in it. But uh, that book is that's a trip. Yeah, I. To say the least. I haven't <laughs> spent a lot of time with it, yet, but. It's difficult. It's, it's for like me. a bunch of little fairy tales that yeah. all happened within his mind mm-hmm. throughout his dreams and his experiments with automatic writing. Yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm. I've yet to sit down with that. I well, I'm. I'm reading through the archetypes again right now because it's just so different than. Every, anytime I sit down with that book, it's it. I read it differently, you know, than I, than I had previously. You Mm -hmm. just, there's so much in those books. You know what I mean? That to, I don't have the attention span to like take in everything on like one page when I read it. You know what I mean? Like there's inevitably like, 
things that you just kind of, you don't, you, you don't, they don't register, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like certain things register one time you read it and then a whole dip, like a whole new group of things register, you know, the next time you read oh, it. Absolutely. And I think it just depends on maybe what archetype you're in at the moment. Just kidding. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's one of those things that's similar to like looking at artwork, you know? Yeah. Depending on whatever lens that you're looking at the world through at that point in time you're yeah. probably going to get something different out of it yeah that's how I feel and when I'm like creating a piece of work especially if it's abstract or super colorful mm-hmm. is I, I, I can't spend too much time working on it because every time I sit down I am different so every time I sit down with that piece it's like a different person is sitting down, so I'm not going to like yeah. it, or I'm going to have different feelings each time. Some paintings, depending on what I'm doing, I know that I have to get a certain amount done while I'm sitting there, or the next day I might look at it and totally repaint everything, you know, just cover and start from scratch. Huh. I've had that happen to me with so many different paintings. I've never experienced that. I can kind of like yeah. jump back on the wavelength of the feeling I was I had for a certain piece or a series. For me, it depends, but mostly I gotta finish it. Like I gotta get myself set a time or some kind of plan because I've. I've just wasted so much time and like materials. <laughs> I had one piece that I, it was the same, same um, inspiration. I had gone to New Orleans in May and um, I had um, created this piece um, that has like a girl under one of the. Oh, what are the tree? What's the name of that tree? There's these trees. Willows. Yeah, it's like a willow. Yeah. Um, and I had spent a couple weeks on it, and it had gone through like three or four totally different, like <laughs> the colors. Or I actually did it once totally in ink, and then I covered it and redid it in acrylic, oh, and wow. just like. At one point, I was like, this isn't, I'm going to end up throwing this thing away. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I actually sold that piece yesterday. So Nice. <laughs> yeah. But that piece was one that I really learned. Where I was like, okay, you need to either, you need to have some, some kind of time frame because this is just becoming a waste of money yeah. <laughs> at this point <laughs> with so many materials being layered up. Well, it's probably a good thing have a time frame for that because otherwise... Uh, you could spend a month on paintings and then you'd be making six pieces of art a year right that's kind of how my mandalas were they would get out to like that big and I would that would take me like two months to put it together well (laughs) I I guess it depends right on like how you're doing it but oh yeah 
but now that I'm working on more portraits and I'm trying to make it more feel more real you know less abstract and more precision now that kind of piece I am taking more time with and I'm not I'm not going you know into different colors you know or like like I'm sticking yeah, with what their hair color is or a skin tone or you know and I'm spending time like on the eyes so that kind of thing I will like I'll take time on that because there's the blending and there's it's um much more meticulous yeah Yeah. so that that kind of thing it's not it's a it's a different situation but if it's just like a a colorful kind of abstract where i'm going with a feeling then i've i've got to be in that feeling you know what i mean and the Mm -hmm. next day if i'm if i'm feeling differently I'm not going to like those colors anymore, and I'm not going to want to build on it. I'm going to start something different. So yeah, it's got to be done. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> what if I'm sad one day, and the next day I'm happy? I'm like, okay, this is too depressing. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That's cool you're doing more like, portraiture. I've been I've been trying to force myself to get down and do more technical sort of sketches and get people figures down better. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just never learned that. I think it's kind yeah. of it's kind of like the American artist way that we start out doing like abstract or minimal art. Yeah. And then yeah. wind up learning. Yeah. Some some amount of the classical type yeah. of training. Yeah. Well, the the in the classical kind of the route is it just takes more practice and you're not going to get, you know, that satisfaction or the feeling of liking what you've done as mm-hmm. quickly as you are like if you're doing an abstract colorful colorful piece and you don't have to think so much about that and you finish it and you like it then you're more likely to keep going and then you eventually start to go down you know different paths because you know more and you learn you know you you build what you know and what you're doing and what you're confident with and Mm -hmm. and then you start diving into you know more complex stuff but if you start with that complex stuff you're you're gonna be like oh this sucks like I'm not doing this again like I'm not good at this right yeah I don't know I know that that's like uh more the European tradition they get or probably from like 1950s prior the European tradition is more you learn like the classical approach yeah I view it as kind of like a head versus heart sort of manifestation because so many classical pieces are they're more of a narrative mm-hmm. in a way yeah like I, I just watched an, a great documentary on Hieronymus Bosch if you've ever okay. heard of that guy uh-uh. um, not much is known about him but his paintings are intense to say the least and really I think he's like maybe 1600s from okay. a, a Danish town or something like that right but um 
Look up uh, his painting, The Garden of Earthly Desires. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> quite the title. <laughs> there's a lot in that painting. Wow. There's, All right. Uh, yeah, and it's the documentary I watched because he's been a really enigmatic, enigmatic artist okay. over the years, and nobody really has pinned down what he was about. Okay. But the one person who did this documentary was... Um, came to the conclusion that he was just like a very pious guy who probably fought a lot of demons within himself. So his paintings were kind of like a teaching tool, I guess, for him and his uh, religious Mm -hmm. ideas. Okay. But nevertheless, a really talented artist and super intricate. So intricate that um, there's piece of sheet music written on this dude's butt in hell in this painting of the garden of earthly desires and it's actually music you can like you can google Hieronymus Bosch butt music and find no way playing it I'm gonna google this on my (laughs) way home and uh that's pretty cool so it's yeah much more of like a narrative yeah and then you wind up I like that with like Picasso showing up and even with before that with like the impressionists I feel like they're they're presenting real life but it's much mm-hmm. less of a story and more of a a feeling a scene yeah a scene of you know someone like reading by a bale of hay doesn't really convey a story right. but there's the emotion there right and then, yeah, I think that kind of morphed into, like, expressionism and at its most abstract, like, Pollock. Right. And then you wind up with the two sides. Right. With, uh, Hieronymus Bosch and Jackson Pollock. Yeah, different ends, right? I like, I like mixing the two as much as you can. Or as much as yeah. I can. Yeah, I... Do you look back or do you do you look back on pieces from, you know, those different eras when you are going to like create a piece? I do. Um sometimes uh most of the time it's like I'll just see one that catches my eye. Right. And I kind of see it in a different scene almost. Yeah. And there's been a couple paintings that I've done. <coughs> excuse me. You're fine. That were, uh, they're half repaints of another painting. Okay. So I like, for this one, it was two people in the ocean or some body mm-hmm. of water, and one's at the top of the wave, and the other's at the bottom of the wave, and the guy on the top is pulling the person from the bottom up to the top of the wave. Mm. And I kind of just like, well, I didn't kind of do it. I took them and just transplanted them into a different scene with basically the same thing going on, but you can't really see it's other than someone's pulling someone else up. And yeah, I kind of, I just like the, the mystery, the mysteriousness of classical painting and to the story that they have along with the 
subjective, very expressive right. side of abstract art. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I'll spend time with those, you know, the older works or pieces or whether it's, you know, at a museum or in a book or, you know, I'll get an idea or, and then I'll kind of spend some time researching different styles mm-hmm. or types of art. And I usually find that, like, I'll, I'll get an idea and I'll kind of roll with it. And then I'll do some, I'll kind of look at what I'm working with and I'll do some research and then I'll see how it ties into surrealism or a couple weeks ago when I started diving into cubism. And it's weird because I had no intention of that. You know, that wasn't what was in my head. But then I'll kind of look back and, and I'll find, you know, that it's related or that it's similar and then I'll kind of dive into it and it's just a really off the path like it off the path route of how I discover a lot of these different styles of art you know that I maybe yeah. haven't spent spent time with or and I I've found over the past year that I end up running or studying or researching them after stemming from or um, what I've already got on the paper on the the canvas hmm. and that's how I've ended up you know doing most of my research I I mean In the last winter, I spent some time with Picasso, and then in the spring, I spent a lot of time um, looking into Salvador Dali or um, Mm -hmm. like Dada, uh, Dada yeah, 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 sort of, Mm -hmm. yeah, that sort of that vein, and um. with no intention, you know, of running into those things. Yeah. Or I did some, or I spent some time studying, you know, Andy Warhol or his pieces. And I actually had a client who I had been seeing for a while, and she, I was talking to her about Andy Warhol, and she was like, oh, did you know that I have an original by Andy Warhol in my hallway? <laughs> I'm like, What? I've been coming over here for like a year and you've never told me this, right? <laughs> and it's huge. It's a wow. self-portrait um, <sighs> that she got. Paint on canvas? Or is it a print? Mm, it's not a print. Not a print. It's... Probably, is it a photo? Screen print? I can't, you know, I can't, I don't uh. remember off the top of my head lithograph I don't even know if he did that um I'll have to get back to you on that I don't remember what it was on yeah that's Um, cool 
you don't meet people every day that just have no no (laughs) no she also had one from um she had a piece from Ringo Starr oh wow that she purchased from him in Paris I think huh yeah and this was before you know they became famous um so yeah your friend sounds like she was very hip she was (laughs) back in the day she was (laughs) for sure um yeah that's cool well uh it's probably about that time almost 100 minutes in all right it's been a very enjoyable conversation thanks for having me yeah my first podcast nice (laughs) (laughs) well congratulations thank you um where can any everybody find your work like uh social media links Um, websites i am on social media social media um my my instagram handle is that what you call it or my yeah name is at (laughs) it's percolate like a percolator for coffee um with two r's okay in the in the name um How'd you come up with that? <laughs> I, um, I, um, it's, I actually just put up my finished ish, my website, which is percolate.com with two R's as well. Um, but I was reading my horoscope actually, um, <laughs> a couple, like a, about two years ago, and it told me to, it was essentially saying think about it but it was it said percolate on it something like that (laughs) and I was like that's awesome I love that you know so (laughs) so I made it my account name and I think percolate with one r was taken oh yeah so I've had a lot of dumb dumb ones (laughs) I thought I think that's a good one so I was thank you thank you (laughs) Yeah, well, I've cool. had my fair share of, you know, bad screen name choices or username choices. You oh, know? yeah. So I was, think everyone's had that bad email. Yeah. Email account. For sure. <laughs> For sure. All right. Cool. Cool. That's a wrap.